Welcome to The Interop. Today, my guest is Rushi Mancha, co-founder at Movement Labs. Movement is a network of modular, move-based blockchains. In today's conversation, we'll discuss the growing narrative around DA and modular chains, M2, their move-based L2, and M1, their decentralized shared sequencer. We'll talk about their recent partnership announcement with Noble and Union to bring native USDC to the Move ecosystem. We'll discuss experimentation in Cosmos and the growing landscape of alternative VMs and Movement's product roadmap. I'm also dying to find out why he thinks the EVM is going to zero. Before we get started, make sure to subscribe to get notified when new episodes drop every week. And remember that none of what we discuss here on The Interop is investment advice. And if you enjoy this content, please consider staking with us. We're validating on Evmos, Quicksilver, Osmosis, and Juno. Just look for Interop in the active set. My guest, Rushi Mancha, is coming up next, right here on The Interop. Rushi Manchai, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Appreciate it, man. Second time's a charm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of fun when like the podcast has been running for so long that there's like repeat guests. Yeah. And there's been a few now. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's cool. And, and also it's an opportunity to, you know, look back on uh, our last conversation and just get sort of get an update because there's been so much going on with movement you guys are like all over the place you're on all the podcasts you're all over twitter lots of announcements and uh all sorts of things coming up uh for 2024 so congrats on all this uh success and uh and growth you know the the, the community's been growing and people are excited about movement yeah i appreciate it i think it's been like a kind of good beating of the drum where like every week we're building momentum um and the cards are aligning where Celestia has been crushing it. The Maja thesis is crushing it. Cosmos is crushing it. Um, seems like everyone's winning and we're like in the center of everything. So I'm just grateful for all our supporters and you especially. Well, no. with, uh, with pleasure where, you know, in, in 2023, we, we saw a lot of narratives kind of come together and I, I sort of see 2023 as a year of narrative validation. Of course we had Celestia, which, validated the modular thesis um dydx coming online also validated the app chain thesis as well and i mean those two sort of come together um and i i wonder you know in 2024 like where what what's left in terms of uh, a narrative validation specifically in the modular space because you guys are so present there you know what are the things that we still need to prove to the space in terms of bringing uh, modularity to blockchains. Yeah, so 2023 is kind of the year of like the DA race. You had like Celestia come to market, you had Eigen DA, um, and then you had like a veil kind of push the near like the DA narrative. Um, the issue there was like DA is pretty expensive. Ethereum takes up 80 90% of all fees. So the thesis was okay, swap out the DA layer. Um, so rollups can have better um, like DA settlement um, layers. Um, 2024 is kind of the year of the VM. It's kind of like why well, I have a VM Wars podcast that's kind of dedicated to that, where we're actually seeing experimentation um, at the VM level. It's kicked off by Solana's crazy bull run, um, where like everyone came back to Solana ecosystem, um, obviously price action, but also saw a lot more experimentation from different ecosystems. Um, and even like the OG Ethereum folks, like the obvious of the world, uh, started saying, hey, we want to deploy on top of Solana. We love uh, the SVM. Um, Eclipse brought the SVM to Ethereum. 
Um, so that was kind of the kickstart of that. And this year we've seen like an explosion of that where you have us for the movie app, you have CK Wasm groups coming up, experimenting with TypeScript and JavaScript on Ethereum. Um, so this year, Modular is really focused on experimentation and execution level. I think the EVM has been broken for a while. Um, it's weak. There's $4 billion lost every year in smart contract hacks. It's slow. We saw inscriptions kind of take down every EVM network. And the only ones that survived were like the paralyzed ones, the next-gen ones. Um, so the narrative is clear in that you can still use Ethereum, you can still use all liquidity benefits, you can be connected to IBC um, and bring in all the Cosmos communities and all the tooling there. You can live on Celestia for DA with the cheaper um, DA phase and dressing that solution. And the final piece in this like Rubik's Cube is the VM level where we can experiment with different solutions like Solana Virtual Machine, the Move Virtual Machine, um, and see which is brought to the market in the best possible way. So your your take on on Ethereum I think is interesting. I mean it's it's definitely an extreme one. Uh, yep. I think like the, the, this idea that the EVM is going to zero, a lot of people would push back on that. Yep. Uh, what what is the what's the thesis here for the let's say like in ten years from now? Yep. What will we be using the EVM for, if anything? I think that comes down to Solidity, right? Solidity is very analogous to JavaScript in this case. Um, JavaScript is a great language, like used by 17 million people, something ridiculous. Um, it's a good language to start off the birth of Web3, the birth of like JavaScript was for Web2, but there was much better iterations upon Solidity and JavaScript that is more enhanced for blockchains. So for example, Move was built by the Facebook and the DM program, literally the biggest consumer app in the world, looked at blockchain and was like, Solidity can't scale. If you ever want to bring our billion users to blockchains, we can't be getting hacked for billions eventually trillions of dollars, um, consumer assets need to be safe, as well as if I'm bringing millions of users to my network, it needs to be able to do more than five TPS, 10 TPS. Um, inscriptions kind of showed that no EVM could do above 100 TPS. I think that was in the highest number that we got. Um, so looking at if we ever want to bring consumer apps and actually adoption to what we're all here for, it's clear that next-gen virtual machines um, are the key. However, the Ethereum virtual machine still is like the predecessor. Solidity still has all the mind share and most developers are still there. So the way we approach it and kind of what most people in the space are approaching is embedding backwards compatibility in that still supporting Solidity smart contract. If I'm a Solidity developer, if I'm Uniswap, I can still deploy on top of next-gen virtual machine. However, um, either through a transpiler, either through a hybrid VM, which is what Say is doing, either through like a completely restructured EVM, which is what Manad's doing, um, we should be able to scale the EVM in other ways. Uh, we approach that through a transpiler, so uh, we accept SolidScript, but we still run the move VM on the hood. Um, so I wouldn't say that EVM, like the EVM itself is different from Solidity. I would say Solidity is still around because most smart contracts are in that, um, but I think there's better ways to enhance the Ethereum virtual machine in a way that you can still run Solidity on top of next-gen VMs. Do, do you foresee blue chip smart contracts on Ethereum uh, rewriting their entire code base in other VMs or leveraging something like move uh, or movement uh, to transpile their applications to another VM? Or do you think the EVM will evolve to support other languages? Now, this has been like in the works for years with Viper and hasn't really played out. But where, where do you see that heading in terms of the EVM potentially in evolving to continue to support these, you know, multi tens of billions of dollar blue chip applications that will you know, potentially be like in the hundreds of billions in coming years. 
Yeah, I think Stani's been like the most vocal about this um, in terms of the Sonic system. Like he wants Ave on top of Neon, which is kind of like the EVM solution um, for Solana. So still able to use like a parallelized runtime, still using next-gen rich machine, um, but bringing a compatibility with the whole Ave stack. Ave is interesting um, because obviously like because it's cross-chain and there's a whole lending markets, if you have like one network go down, it kind of creates like a trickle effect. So security is really important in making sure like the standard is the same across chains. So I think there's already been a lot of mind share around, can we look at Solana uh, and bring blue chip protocols to that ecosystem? So I think the first kind of adoption will happen at Solana level um, and they'll trickle down to like movie system and other networks. In terms of like the EVM, like it kind of depends on what angle you're looking at. I think like Viper didn't show much improvements. Like the curve attack was a Viper vulnerability, which was still a re bug. Um, so Viper has like minimal improvements, if not like if any, there's still a lot of vulnerabilities. The issue is at the VM level itself. I don't believe that the like the Ethereum Foundation or any groups can really tackle it in the near to short term as quick as like the slots of the world, the movements of the world, aptos and suites of the world can address issues. Um, so it's kind of like how the, the question is, are blue chip protocols going to adopt next gen VMs first? Or is like the Ethereum Foundation going to be able to um, create EIPs that can substantially be improved? I've seen a lot of different EIPs on, on security and performance. Um, and A, those usually don't allow backwards compatibility. So people need to completely rewrite their slowly code anyway. And B, um, it's like years out and there's no like formidable plans yet. While like next-gen VMs have a clear roadmap um, for adoption. I mean, I could, I could definitely see it going that way. I mean, the counter case here is, uh, is PHP, right? In, in yep. Web two, and like PHP has been around for like twenty over twenty years. I think like twenty five years now. Yep. Uh, we've, we've, you know, anybody who's been in the Web two space or has been building web applications for a long, for a long time, you know, has been saying that PHP would, would die, you know, many times. It's, it's like, like Bitcoin is dead. Like PHP yep. was supposed to be dead years ago, and it still powers like I think something like sixty to seventy percent of websites on the internet because there's like a few applications that still use it at scale, like WordPress and Facebook and a few others, you know, do you, do you think that like there's a space for Solidity code still continues to, uh, to power, you know, very large applications in this space, but is mostly seen as like a legacy language, uh, while, you know, new developers and like all the new applications leveraging, you know, the modular stack will be using things like movement and, and other, uh, VMs. But the, that that Solidity will continue to be this kind of like legacy supported uh, language, you know, using the EVM for you know like decades to come. Yeah, I was a PHP dev for Gather Crypto, um, and I hated Same. it. But um, <laughs> I think is that that's exactly how I see it, right? Like Solidity, the EVM is legacy code. Like it'll always be referred. Like even Bitcoin script technically is legacy. Um, and like Ethereum was upgraded to that, but like Bitcoin is still Bitcoin, obviously, and there's still like a bunch of BRC20 stuff and still innovations happening there. So I think there's a market for both in that legacy code and legacy like OG DeFi protocols will still remain EVM dominant, whereas the next gen of innovation is going to happen next gen level. If I'm a new developer coming to the space, it's actually more profitable and more intuitive for me to learn Rust and Rust-based languages because A, the average salary for that is like twice that of Solidity and B, there's much more use cases. Like Solana, I would say is like the best place to do a payments app, um, payments across the world at like less than a fraction of a cent, like instantaneous. You can't really do that on Ethereum. Can't really do that anywhere else. Um, Move is like the best to do secure programming. Um, so if you want to build like a financial app, that's not going to get hacked um, as well as like Dynamic NFTs and a bunch of other 
um, things that move enable. It's that's the best language to pick up. So I think there's a bunch of different use cases um, that are going to see light in the next two or three years that really highlight move, highlight Solana VM. Move specifically is big for gaming. So when that big gaming Web three run comes, I believe it's going to be in the Web three. Um, ecosystem is going to happen at move level. So yeah, I think it's sim also similar to the AI industry. Microsoft's announced their big pivot to Rust um, and like announcing that their code bases are predominantly Rust-based. Um, before that, like AI wasn't like that like 20 years ago, right? Um, but now we're seeing much more innovation happen in the Rust realm um, across different industries. Cool. Well, let's uh, move on to movement. So we had we last had you on in, in June. So you know anybody who is interested in getting sort of a high level about like, what is movement and what is the vision there should go back and listen to that episode because I think it sort of covers uh, movement at, at a high level. Uh, we're going to get into a little bit more detail here about some of the things that have come out since then. Um, for for instance, you guys like announced the M2 um, uh, for supporting rollups and you also announced this partnership with Noble and Union to... Uh, bring USDC and Ethereum security to move rollups. We'll also talk about the roadmap, but let's just maybe start with you know a brief uh, overview of what is movement and what's the vision there, and specifically what does movement bring to the modular stack? Yeah, so Thesis is a network of move-based blockchains where we see and envision a bunch of different blockchains, uh, eventually market share being predominantly written in moves programming languages. In the past, um, there were monolithic giants like Apis and Sui that really spearheaded the move VM charge. Um, but there's a lot of bottlenecks in terms of interoperability. Um, it was difficult to acquire liquidity, uh, acquire new infrastructure, get new users. Um, so our thesis was we want to see move adopted at scale, whether for app chains, whether it's for a general purpose L2, um, and really see adoption there. So within movement, we have M2, the first move EVM rollup on Ethereum. Um, at the execution level, it's the move virtual machine paired with Ethereum EVM compatibility. So it supports Solidity code as well as move smart contracts. It lives on Ethereum for settlement, so you have native ETH directly into the protocol as well as the decentralization and liquidity that Ethereum provides. And then DA is powered by Celestia, um, obviously for cheaper transaction fees um, and better performance. And that's connected to M1, which in the past was a subnet. Um, but we modified it to be a decentralized shared sequencer. The thesis is there, centralized sequencers in today's market one scale. A, they can't keep up performance in next generation blockchains. In this world, we're doing 10,000, 20,000 TPS. You can't have one node that can potentially go down and ruin all those transactions. And secondary, um, it's just not profitable in that DA is making transaction fees much more cheaper. Um, we saw it with Celestia to Manta. And then next-gen VMs bring that cost down to like less than a one cent. So centralized sequencers can't scale and are actually bad for the community. Our M1 network is a decentralized shared sequencer that can power the M2 rollup, um, as well as other move-based rollups that connect to the network. Um, yeah, so basically the first move layer to Ethereum, um, providing solvency for other move rollups as well. How do you achieve a, a, a sequencer that is both shared and decentralized without just building another blockchain that also needs its own settlement layer? Yeah, so we kind of deprecate the smart contract functionality of M1. So you, like at scale, you won't be able to publish smart contracts to it. Instead, the validators are all focused on sequencing the transactions for um, M2. So if you look at Espresso, Radiant, some of these other shared sequencers, they follow a similar model um, where they have a set of validators. Um, Cell even does this for their layer one, which they announced for layer two, where existing validators all stake the native token. So 
if I'm a avalanche validator, I can stake the move token um, and then participate in the sequencing for the layer two. And then all the fees that are generated from the layer two are then distributed back to um, the validators. So there's actually a double pronged approach for validators are not only getting APY um, for emissions, but also getting a large percentage of the sequencing fees. So it's kind of double pronged um, benefit for running nodes, which in turn um, incentivizes them to run more nodes, which creates a further decentralized and eventually permissionless um, sequencing network uh, for layer twos. So let's let's uh, let's maybe zoom into M two a little bit yep. here. So so M one you know, previously was to be this smart contract yep. um, blockchain using Move, where one could deploy Move smart contracts. That's what we talked about in the last episode. So that that has shifted now yep. and is now a decentralized shared sequencer that will have its own validator set. Um, I want to come back to that in, in a minute. And then M2 is a roll-up framework, correct? Yep. Where anyone can, you know, take that take take that package and deploy it as a roll-up um, on top of any other DA layer, modular DA layer and security layer. Um, what are some of the ways that M2 that you can configure yeah. M2 to work with say like Celestia or um, other other DA uh, layers? So M2 is the general purpose chain. Um, so there's this layer two that like you deploy smart contracts to. It's like Optimism, oh, Arbitrum, okay. Eclipse. You can deploy smart contracts that have DeFi, TBL, all that stuff. The move stack is the framework where you can deploy your own move rollup. So let's say we have a few gaming protocols already doing this and going to be live over the next three to four weeks. Um, where let's say I'm my own gaming app. I want my own environment. I have my own bridges and oracles. I want to use EigenDA instead of Celestia for data availability. I want to use the ZK stack, or OP stack, or one of these other frameworks. Um, we're compatible with all those different frameworks and DA layers. I can launch my own move rollup using the move VM, the move EVM, um, and connect to the sequencer network. So you'll have M2, which is just like, like the optimism mainnet, where you have a general purpose move EVM rollup that produce TVL, liquidity, and it's like a liquidity hub. And then you have other move rollups, particularly gaming, we're seeing a lot of interest, um, where you can launch next generation rollups with 10,000 plus TPS connected to Ethereum liquidity and then connecting to sequence network. So you can do swaps between different chains. Um, hopefully that clarifies it. Yeah, okay. So let's uh, let's dive in. Because I think I think this kind of ties yep. into the, the Noble and Union partnership in, to some extent, right? Because these yep. are the different, the sort of like other layers of the stack that make this possible. Um, so with with M2, we'll be able to deploy, I mean, so M2 is its own chain yep. on which you can deploy smart contracts, but you can also use the movement uh, framework to um, to deploy your own app-specific rollup. Yep, exactly. Okay, all right. So like as a as a developer, like what's the... What's the decision tree to you know deploy as a movement uh, as an M two smart contract, or to go ahead and like deploy your own app specific rollup using movement? Yeah, I think not every app needs its own app chain. In fact, you like I say, I'm a lending protocol. I probably want to deploy on top of the main M two chain so I can interact with other um, like apps and users on my network. Um, it's just like any other L2 or any other blockchain where it's, if I'm deploying a general purpose app, um, with DeFi, gaming, whatever, and I don't need my own sovereign environment, um, it's better, just easier to just deploy an M2. If I'm a specialized game, if I have my own use cases, if I need my own like bridging solutions, my own DA solutions, uh, I'm a partnership with uh, like the Polygon of the world, the Optimism of the world, and I can't use the current stack. 
I can still leverage the move framework, launch uh, my own custom move rollup on the CDK, on the OP stack, whatever you want, on whatever DA layer, um, and then have an own custom sovereign environment where no one else can be involved. Um, so we've seen that a lot with app chain, specifically gaming, um, because gaming requires high throughput. So if we deploy on top of um, like a main settlement chain like M2, it may clog up the network. Um, you won't see the performance that you want. Whereas if you have your own sovereign app chain, um, it's yours and yours only essentially. And um, the the M2 chain itself, it it leverages. Uh, it's it's not leveraging Celestia DA. It is its own chain with its own validator set, right? So it is leveraging Celestia for DA, but lives in the okay. for settlement. So it uses Blobstream in that um, case. Ah, okay, that's cool. Okay, so it uses Celestia DA and Ethereum for settlement. So it's effectively an Ethereum rollup. Yep. Okay, got it. And um when it comes to the um, the sort of like union and noble integration here so you guys announced like this partnership with noble and union recently um what what is the role of union and uh and noble in the stack yeah, so typically in next generation chains like even after sensui i was contributing to the first dex in aptos and i can tell you the biggest pain was not having native usdc day zero um and having like, two assets on the dex wasn't the most profitable and useful decks in the world. Um, now with M2, you can have native USDC out of the box. Um, so Union is building settlement-like client machines to connect us to the Union chain, um, which is then connects us to like Noble uh, via IBC. So if I'm a DEX deploying on top of M2, now have native USDC provided by Noble um, linked via IBC, which is insured um, with Union's um, solo-like client machines. Um, and if I'm a move stack client or from anyone launching my own move rollup connected to the network, um, you also have native USDC out of the box. So if I'm a game deploying my own gaming rollup or I'm like an order book deploying my own order book rollup, I can connect to M2 with IBC, um, still leverage the union um, IBC connectivity and have USDC out of the box, um, which is something that most app chains, if not all app chains can't do. Okay, so as, a, as an application living um, on, as a, as a sovereign rollup, uh, using Celestia DA, that Celestia will send a proof to Union that a transaction's occurred, and then that will trigger uh, Noble to move assets in and out of Noble's uh, app chain. I mean, can you still call that native USDC once it's sitting on um, on Union? I mean, it, it's it's sort of like one step away from yep. being native, right? I mean, it's like native to the US, to, to, to the IBC ecosystem. Yep. Does the does the fact that it requires Celestia DA to provide an extra layer of security there, does that not uh, sort of no longer make it, you know, this one hop away from noble kind of native USDC as we would, ex as we would expect it to be in the IBC ecosystem or, or is it effectively the same? It's effectively the same because Union does proofs of the settlement layer. Um, so when they are checking for whether transactions go through the chain, um, they're able, let's say I, I'm watching one solid rollup and sell into Ethereum, um, Noble or Union sends proofs directly to the Union chain and then really that to Noble. Um, so adding Celestian doesn't change anything. The only thing that would change is if you don't use Ethereum for settlement and you're just using like a solid rollup um, with your own consensus mechanism, that might make it one hop away additionally. Um, which is probably a bit like a custom challenge that you need to do with Union and take care of that yourself. 
Um, but if you're just using Ethereum for settlement um, and you have the same Valor set, it shouldn't be an issue. Okay, so so this 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 partnership announcement um, mostly concerns applications that are going to be using M two. Yeah. Uh, but for applications that are using move with another settlement layer or yeah, like yep. they're settling some in some other way, uh, they, they would not like have native USDC in the same way that M2 applications would. Yeah. The partnership is mostly focused on M2 getting a prototype up. Um, it's already pretty experimental on that. And, um, and then eventually the vision is to eventually have out of the box USDC, and I'm sure unions um, putting together stuff for that. Um, but the focus is on M2 at the moment. What about other roll-up, sorry, other DA providers? Like where, you know, how, how could they provide um, alternatives to Celestia? I mean, I guess for M2, that wouldn't be the case since like M2 has a some sort yeah. of partnership with Celestia. Uh, but settlement roll-ups could potentially yeah. use another DA solution, right? Yep. Yeah. So we have partnerships already with Avail. Um, IGDA is coming out shortly and then Nier as well. Um, so if I'm a game developer and I want to sell on Nier, um, Nier is pretty, has high traffic for consumer gaming. Um, I can swap at Celestia, sell on Nier, use OP Stack with a Polygon CDK, um, and use MoveVM and have my own custom rollup. Um, we're actually partnering with the rest of the world, um, shortly being announced. So it can be a one-click button. So you can essentially do a drag and drop uh, of like Celestia, Avail, Eigen, whatever, use whatever rollup stack, and then use our VM, and it'll be like a one-click deployment. Um, where the RAS is actually will handle all the infrastructure. So I'm a game developer. I focus on my game. I can use whatever roll-up stack, use whatever uh, DA layer, and the RAS itself will take care of it. Okay. And what's the fractal module? I, re I read about this module and yep. like, uh, maybe explain what it how it works. So it's an EVM runtime that sits upon the move VM. Um, the biggest issue that we face, like we touched on, is, yeah, next-gen VMs are great, but all the developer activity today and all the liquidity today is on the EVM and probably the near to short term will still remain on the EVM. Um, so essentially it's our backwards compatibility solution in that if I'm Uniswap, um, if I'm like an Avalanche app or an Optimism app, I can keep my Solidity code and then deploy on top of the EVM runtime that takes the Solidity code, the 145 opcodes, maps to the 45 move opcodes and launch in the VM. So it has Ethereum-based RPC, uh, fully MetaMask compatible, um, is atomically composable with any move transaction. So if you have a, a move multisig and you have an EVM multisig, um, they can communicate atomically on the VM itself. Um, so it works, talks, and looks like an EVM, but runs the movie under the hood. Similar to like Solan and Solana. Um, yeah. Okay, so so for for those who aren't like super technical, you know, can you explain how um, this module like maps the Ethereum opcodes to the move opcodes, and why are there so many in Ethereum and so and so many, so so fewer in in move? No, one of the security benefits of move is that there's like a third of the opcodes, so it's like basically pretty much no vulnerabilities. Uh, whereas having so many opcodes is like a downside slowly. Um How the mapping works is essentially like you create like if you have like many to one pairing, you can say like, okay, if I invoke a swap function slowly, I'm going to invoke equivalent function move. Um, but given the fact that there's most slowly opcodes and less move opcodes, you essentially have a slowly library. Um, so if I want to invoke a function move, that's not um, covered by slowly. I can invoke a third party library. That's like the movement client. Um, and I write functions there. Um, if there's a slowly function, every slowly function is handled by move um, because it is like a successor to slowly. Um, so essentially any transaction like Uniswap, um, any gaming transaction with an EVM, 
Um, you just like kind of invoke a transaction on the move side. Okay, so so in in the case of move, there are, there are fewer opcodes, and so yep. in order to achieve you know the same results as you would with you know the hundred and forty some opcodes in Ethereum, yep. move has to make like more. It sort of like constructs those opcodes by joining yep. different opcodes together. Yep. Okay. So so an, so an opcode like to a developer, you know, when you're writing code. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you write this code in this in this language that you can read and you can create like sort of functions and, and declare variables and have conditionals, et cetera. Yep. And then what the compiler does is it takes all of that code and essentially just transforms it into like a series of, of opcodes. And those opcodes are read by the blockchain and execu end up executing the transactions. So the opcodes are sort of like the equivalent to, I suppose, like assembly, right? I mean, yes. it's like this low level code that that's in, interpreted by the machine uh, in in the case of um so like with with regards to you know the the security of move uh, what are some of the more um you know sort of uh risky opcodes or like opcodes in ethereum that are the the biggest targets for for attacks yeah so it's like or is it like or is it a, a combination of opcodes put together that you know per, uh, enable things like re-entrancy yeah, like the withdraw function is something like slowly notorious for. Um, if you look at the curve attack, like you can just like see like the withdraw function or um, the send function or the transfer function is just like repeatedly abused because there's like integer overflow. Um, there's like a type mishap that's not taken care of by the compiler. Um, even like the Kyber attack was like a zero point zero 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 one percent vulnerability that no auditor could pick up. Um, and like it's a combination of opcodes, right? So sometimes it's like every like. The withdraw function is fine. The transfer function is fine separately. But when you call withdraw and transfer next to each other, um, that's when the issue comes up because you didn't handle the integer types properly. Um, so it can be sometimes just one individual opcode you completely messed up, or it can be like if you have three opcodes together that were all awful, um, then that's also an issue. It's usually at the function level. Um, opcode is like in in this case would be the Yule intermediate language. So it's similar to assembly, but it's like called Yule um, for blockchains. And then um, that's kind of the low-level bytecode. And on like Solidity level, which is high level, um, you have like the withdraw function, transfer function um, that connect to these opcodes. When you look at it this way, it, it's, it sounds as though you could just have, you could, you could compile move code directly to Ethereum opcodes. I mean, if you guys are already doing this, uh, transforming if, uh, Solidity into, um, into move, wouldn't wouldn't you be able to also write move code that compiles down to the EVM? Yeah, I've seen a few like attempts at this, um, but it hasn't. It's definitely possible, and I think it's something that we could potentially do. It just like does not not big of a market in because market there because the thesis behind slowly to move is attracting more developers. There's too few move developers, so it doesn't make sense um, to go the other way around because you'll you'll get, like five more developers in a perfect world where like every like developer counts the same and it's like a thousand move developers a thousand evm developers it makes the most sense to move to evm um so you can still deploy on top of mainnet ethereum and write alternative smart contract languages uh, i think like nitro was like an svm on evm something like that um or nitro was svm on cosm wasn't we there's been like solana implementations of the other way around um but i don't think anyone has done move to evm okay interesting uh, this this is really interesting stuff i'd like to Maybe do like a full episode just on on this topic. Yeah, um, I'll probably need to bring the engineers in who can hopefully do a better <laughs> job explaining it. 
So coming back to the the movement noble union partnership. So Aptos and Sui don't have native USDC, but so with with this enable some form of native USDC for Aptos and Sui applications. I mean, could you consider it to be native, or would it just be like sort of move wrapped USDC, which is effectively sort of one step away from from USDC well, for those ecosystems? USDC right now, Aptos and Sui is like wormhole wrapped USDC, um, which is is good solution for like short term, but it's a pain to use if you ever tried it. Like any bridge USDC, because let's say for example you're bridging from like um, Aptos to Sui to Solana to Polkadot to Near. It's wrapping each time you do that. So you'll have like five different versions of USDC by like those five different transactions, which as a developer is a nightmare. Um, as a user, you'll see like five different wormhole USDCs. Um, whereas with us, you'll just have the one like noble USDC. Um, if you're sending it from, let's say you have a, you have a DEX on top of uh, M2 and you want to have TIA, you can, or swap TIA for USDC, you're still using the noble USDC. Um, if you want to send the USCC to Osmosis, the same USCC, obviously. Um, if you want to send the USCC to Wormhole Gateway um, and then connect that Wormhole Gateway to Aptos, um, same standard. Um, so we'll, we don't have multiple standards of USCC because we just have that native USCC. Obviously, the definition of native is when Circle itself directly deploys on top of the chain, um, which is probably a ways out for even Aptos and SUI. Um, as well as like a bunch of other chains. Well, I, I would say like, this is like the second best option to that, um, where it's the same standard, it's not a UX nightmare, um, and you still have like a redeemer, which is noble, noble in this case. Cool. So, what are what are the benefits that, like, how does the e, the IBC ecosystem benefit from having you know move essentially be part of of IBC now? I think you just have more apps being able to deploy and use IBC. There'll be more transactions happening on the IBC Relayer network um, because now the entire movie system, both Aptos, Sui, and even protocols can directly call um, IBC transactions. Um, I'm a firm believer that IBC is one of the best, if not the best bridging mechanism um, on the planet. Um, and so far in the past, it was pretty much confined to like Cosmos app chains, um, like Cosmos and VMs. This for the first time enables a uh, move to come to IBC which comes back to experimentation thesis of having different use cases. Um, now, let's say, for example, you want to do like a secure vault that pretty much can't be hacked, or you want to do like a next-gen gaming um, down like an FT app. Um, now you can get USCC directly into the ecosystem and all powered by IBC the back end. Um, so long story short, brings Move and other VMs um, to the Cosmos ecosystem in a way that wouldn't have been done before. So zooming out a little bit here, I want to talk about Cosmos and sort of movements position within the Cosmos ecosystem. I, I think, you know, if we look at Cosmos, there's, there's been a, there was a pre IBC Cosmos. Uh, and then there was the, been the era of like Cosmos and IBC. And now we're entering the modular Cosmos era or the era with Cosmos plus DA and rollups. So I'd, I'd like you to maybe comment on how you see the future of Cosmos and specifically like how does all of this pertain to the app chain thesis and how should we be thinking about Cosmos in the context of the app chain thesis with think, all of these new developments? Yeah, I think the past Cosmos was just like zones. So you have to use Cosmos SDK, you have to use Tendermint, you have to use BFT, and then you had IBC. Um, so it kind of shut out most of the Ethereum community and most of the L1 community. Now Cosmos and my definition of Cosmos is now any chain that leverages IBC and uses IBC as interconnection, um, which now opens up the possibility to literally every chain. 
You have now Avalanche with like some landslide connection. You have Composable bringing IBC to Solana. Um, you have Union bringing IBC to Ethereum. So over the next few years, the Cosmos is going to encompass everything where every mainnet roll-up, every mainnet chain is going to be using IBC to connect to Cosmic system. Cosmos is used under the hood um, and chains get branded as roll-ups. They can leverage app chains. They can do whatever they want, um, particularly for movement that allows next generation apps um, and like move assets to be listed within a Cosmic system. So if I'm Osmosis, I can list the Tala token, I can list Aftermath token, um, I can list Sui, Aptos, um, which Sui has been doing particularly well over the last few weeks. Um, so that's another great asset to have on the Osmosis DEX natively. Um, and then zooming out even further, like Solana is a big system that Composable is trying to connect to, um, and having Sol on like Levana, having Sol assets like Gito on top of Osmosis, and enabling those traders to use like Osmosis as a general hub. Um, really allows for a lot of experimentation and more permissionless interoperability. So if I'm doing a new VM, for example, let's say that's a better VM that comes out than Move, they can now connect to Cosmos, connect to Osmosis, and have all that liquidity available. Um, so you have more like permissionless interop, which is kind of what Hyperlane is focused on. Yeah, I tend to agree with that view that you know Cosmos is effectively becoming you know the network of IBC-connected applications and chains. I think that's a narrative that makes sense because it kind of departs away from Cosmos being very uh, tied, at least from a narrative perspective, to the hub. I mean, I think the hub will continue to obviously carries the name, right? So yep. it's, it's hard to it's hard for the for 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 the entire narrative to detach from that. But I I think that in the broader, you know, when you talk to people that are not in Cosmos, a, a lot of times, you know, thinking about Cosmos is like you know, they're thinking about the hub, right? And they're thinking about, they're thinking about this sort of like vision of Cosmos of 2019, which was the hub was meant to be this, um, this liquidity hub in like, that would sit between app chains and other ecosystems like Bitcoin and Ethereum and, you know, Polkadot, et cetera. And that needs to change if people are going to take the Cosmos stack seriously. And I, I think that the the best chance for that to happen is for, uh, more applications to use Cosmos, you know, to use Cosmos in the context of, say, like um, using Celestia as a as a as a modular DA layer. They're using Cosmos stack, using IBC, uh, using Noble, um, and and that brings us into the the next step or the next evolution of Cosmos, which is essentially that Cosmos is just technology that sits behind all of these applications. There isn't necessarily like a, a token or, you know, inherent value accrual to that technology. It's just great technology. And and I think that kind of reflects what um, I think it was Sam and Ethan who were recently on the block, one of the Blockworks podcasts. And we we're talking about this, right? The end game is for all applications to be using Cosmos stack, to be yep. using the Cosmos technology stack. And, and I think that's sort of where things are heading. And, you know, certainly as a fund, that's where we look also as like applications that are using the stack. Um, yeah, I think more so it, than applications that align with a specific narrative. It truly is the internet of blockchains, which is like the original thesis behind Causes, right? Um, and now we're seeing, it's like exciting, right? You're seeing like every blockchain trying to use IBC in some capacity. Um, so it's effectively becoming the internet, um, which is the end game. That is, that is the end game for sure. Also, I think, I think one of the characteristics of Cosmos in 2024 is that there's a lot of experimentation happening. Obviously, you know, the, the entire sort of DA narrative and the modular stack, um, Cosmos had a big role to play there in terms of making that possible. 
and there are uh, quite a few um, new VMs emerging there. So you know, Cosmosm, of course, is one of them. The Movement um, stack and the Move VM is another. And I think some people are also like looking at uh, mo uh, novel VMs in the Celestia space. So, you know, what what what's your take on all this experimentation that's happening here, and like, what's the what's the long term view in terms of having compatibility and application an application ecosystem that you know can flourish without uh, having too many incompatibilities between these different VMs? I think it comes back to the JavaScript example, right? Like my analogy is like move is trust as like react as a JavaScript. So when JavaScript first like came out, it was like huge, like people loved it. Um, and then like people were like, oh, it's not that great. Like let's build frameworks on top of it. So you had React, you had Vue, you had Angular. Those are the ones that really won the mind mindshare, but yet like 10, 15, 20 others that tried to make it. It's gonna be the same thing where you have this like unraveling of these different VMs. So you'll have move, um, you'll have like Solana VM, you'll have a Cosm Wasm, which is also Rust-based, you'll have like ZK Wasm, which now is like TypeScript and JavaScript, which is kind of what the Gork did a while back um, and still is trying to do. Um, I'm sure there'll be like five other VMs that come up in the next two years, right? The question is like, what's gonna actually solve for the problems in the past? Who's gonna have the best go-to-market? Who's gonna have the best adoption strategies? Um, and then it's gonna be kind of raveling again of where the top three win. So similar to how you had like, React Angular view that won the ball, like that kind of race to the top. Um, and, but you had like 15 others that kind of went extinct. I think that's going to happen with VMs, right? Um, which is why I call it VM wars. You'll have like 15 VMs that hopefully pop up and a lot of experimentation, a lot of great innovation, great builders. Um, but there's only going to be like three that actually make it in a 10, 20 year horizon. Um, and our bet is the language made by Facebook is the one that's going to win. So you said that there might be, you know, two or three that would end up dominating the market what are some of the other ones that uh the other vms that you're interested or bullish on i mean solana vm is a no-brainer right i think like solana has done a great job the community is like maybe the strongest community out there um and it just makes a lot of sense parallelization high throughput fire dancer is going to completely revolutionize solana mainnet um and eclipse is doing a great job bringing the solana vm to the modular stack so i think solana vm is a no-brainer choice there um and I think the last one I would say is like uh, ZK Wasm. Um, in this world where you are trying to bring new developers to space, um, there's a lot of developers that want to write JavaScript code, TypeScript code, Python code, Rust code, um, and having support for all those different languages is a great virtual machine. Um, so ZK Wasm has been done, like a Wasm has been done with Arbitrum, with Stylus. Um, Fluent is a great team doing ZK Wasm and bringing ZK Wasm to Ethereum. Um, so essentially enabling developers to write multiple languages and then compiling that down to Wasm, um, which move actually can be done. So it's an interesting angle to explore um, and running that in the VM. So let's talk a little bit about the roadmap. You guys recently published your uh, Parthenon roadmap yep. and, um, and which details the different phases of movement. So yeah, walk us through the next couple of months. Yeah, so we're looking at for incentivized test and launch. Um, our DevNet's been out for a while and we've been kind of putting a lot of efforts towards that, but now it's time to the big show. Um, so Parthenon is kind of our transparent, like open source uh, roadmap where we're enabling a kind of bootstrapping the Valor network. One reason we wanted to kind of unveil this is we want our network to be eventually decentralized and permissionless. So we're starting off um, with the first phase, which is this like closed source validator, bootstrapping M1 validator set, um, probably like 10 to 15 validators just to get the product up. 
and then the second phase is exciting the validator set to the community. Um, so we'll have a hundred plus validators um, to kind of boost up the validator set. Eventually, it's going to be per completely permissionless, so anyone can run their own validator to participate in the sequencing set. Um, that transitions into launching M2, where M1 um, becomes a decentralized data sequencer to power the M2 mainnet rollup. Um, so by the end of this uh, kind of testnet phase, you will have M2, the first mover up on Ethereum, powered by a completely decentralized validator set um, that supports both Aptos and SUI move, as well as full even compatible. Um, and we're doing kind of two steps. So A, we can monitor progress from the community, and B, um, always be transparent in what we're doing in terms of testing progress, as well as um, how we're developing as a company. So M1, I want to come back to, to this, to M1 and, and, and the decentralized shared sequencer. Now, everyone I've talked to about decentralized shared sequencer has told me that they're not real. Um, now, I, I haven't spent a whole lot of time, I guess, you know, trying to understand why that is. But but my understanding is basically when you have a decentralized shared sequencer, you basically have another blockchain yep. that needs itself to be sequenced. Yep. Now, I thought we talked about this before, but I, I really wanted to like open this up a little bit. Let, let's double click on that and and just explain why you've solved decentralized shared sequencing while other people think that this is just a myth. Yeah, any L1 or L2, any blockchain can be a decentralized shared sequencer. That is like the definition of consensus mechanism. Any consensus mechanism tenement um, can be a decentralized shared sequencing. Um, the, it, so there's been a few groups that have tried shared sequencing in the past, and every time you ask them, they're like, oh, Arbitrum and Optimism will integrate our shared sequencer. Then you ask anyone from Arbitrum and Optimism, and it's like, yeah, we're never actually going to really do that. Or it's like on the roadmap, and they kind of put it aside. The issue is there's no, there's no incentive for L2s to ever decentralize sequencer in today. Arbitrum and Base are printing money to the point where it's ridiculous at the moment, right? Um, the fees are great. Um, the community is great. Like, it's, it's a very profitable business. So there's no reason for them to ever decentralized sequencer. If I'm making a million dollars a month, why would I voluntarily give up that revenue? What's interesting about our model is A, we're forced to do so because our fees are extremely low. We'll have one of the lowest, if not the lowest um, fee model on the L2, so it'll be the cheapest L2 in the market because we're exhausted for DA. We have a paralyzed VM at the execution level. Um, so our chiefs are next to nothing. Our fees are next to nothing. So that means our sequencer fees are also next to nothing. And then B, we actually have an embedded token model because it's our validator set. That's kind of the architecture and like why we have M1 and M2 is because we want to grow our own community and our own validator set. So every validator that we have has to stake the move token to participate in sequencing fees, which actually creates buy pressure and buy demand for the token because now it's like the utility is to stake the token to participate in sequencing. Um, whereas for layer twos, the token model is usually like governance and some no actual real value for the token. Whereas we have a flywheel effect where um, if you're a validator from M1, you have to take the move token, you get the sequencing fees um, additional to the emissions, and you're actually incentivized to keep launching more nodes. Um, so it's a, a flywheel effect. We eventually completely decentralize the validator set, and we actually make money doing so. So not only are we financially incentivized to, we're forced to because we're next-gen VM. Um, so we, that's kind of the market uh, we're attracting, whereas like the traditional EVM L2s um, in the near-to-short-term don't really want to decentralize sequencer and probably won't. So most people that listen to this this podcast, I think, are familiar with the way you run validators for yep. uh, Cosmos. How is that going to be different for M1? Yeah, so because we come from the systemic consensus, anyone that's running an avalanche validator can opt in to stake our move token. 
there's actually a few, few proposals coming up um, that deprecate the need to stake AVAX. So you can just stake a native token. Um, you don't need to stake AVAX at all. Um, so that's actually why we chose to build on the Avalanche system because you can bootstrap validators in a way that is pretty much unparalleled. We inherit the security of existing consensus mechanism. Um, it's the quickest finale in the market. Um, it's extremely decentralized. I can run on my laptop, um, which is something like going back to the Fire Dance, for example, is like a the, the horror requires horror requires are pretty high. Fire Dancer is even like a higher um, throughput validator set that enables like in theory a million plus TPS. Um, so it's like a instead of having that debacle where you have multiple validator clients, uh, we actually have a low hardware requirement, um, and anyone can run their own node. And when token? And when airdrop? For legal reasons, I will not respond to you. <laughs> and for your own like, benefit. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess I guess that's a good excuse to bring you back on when uh, when you have token and airdrop. Yeah, my legal team will actually kill me if I say anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, talk a little bit about the the community program. Yeah. So. I think we always, like me and Cooper, who is my co-founder, um, came from a community. I built the first Dex in Aptos. Cooper built the first EO Dagger in Aptos. Um, and I think oftentimes the community is forgotten in the situations where it's like, you raise a bunch of money, you have a big token, um, and the community is like completely forgotten. A, that's like what we're striving to like never do. So that's why we have the decentralized validator set. We want people to earn sequencing fees. The foundation is not going to be taking sequencing fees. We're completely distributing that back to the community. Um, we're doing a lot of hackathons and community initiatives, focus on student groups. Um, me and Cooper are both college dropouts, so um, we understand what it means to be in college and still love blockchains, um, but not really have the resources or the education to kind of break into that. I think like if you keep targeting the same developer group, we as an industry are never getting anywhere. Whereas if you can tap into Web2 industries, which is actually a big focus of both Aptos and Sui coming from Web2 traditional backgrounds, um, we're also in the same line going to Web2 audiences, going to college hackathons, um, and giving them the tools to launch their own Web2 startups. Um, oftentimes, you find out like these developer groups want to do something, but they don't like have the resources, the bandwidth, or like have any support. Um, so we're really focused on community initiatives, ambassadorships, um, hackathons, um, online initiatives to really target um, the underrepresented in Web3. Cool. And how, how many... Um... How many pro projects uh, are currently involved in the community program? I think it's we have fifteen from the ecosystem that have come to the community program. Um, our final ecosystem number is like seventy-five at the moment, um, and we're announcing like three every week at this point. Um, but yeah, I think the community program has been really cool because you see a lot of native apps pop up. So like Razor is like one of my favorite wallets that popped up. It's like when we first came across, we didn't even know who it was. Like. This randomly on Twitter, and I literally sent to my Slack. I'm like, guys, the community program is working. We did it. We did it. Um, I think that's the best feeling. Like, anyone can go pay a, like a big wallet group, like a million dollars, to deploy. Like, congrats, you just did what everyone else did. It really feels something to have like a native random developer um, who just believed the mission and went out of their way to complete the new X, do new smart contracts, um, and market it. And Razor is like one of my favorite teams now, one of my favorite wallets, um, and it just feels great as a founder. Yeah, I, I installed it uh, yeah. when I saw you tweeting about it. <laughs> yeah. I can't. I, I'm 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 looking forward to for ledger support, but yeah. um, it's it's great UI. Cool. Well, before we wrap up here, wanted to maybe zoom out even more 
and ask you about, you know, where are you, what, what's your current sentiment on the, the crypto market? Obviously, you know, we had the ETF approval uh, news last week and, you know, just generally, I think people are very excited right now. Markets are up. It looks like we're going to have an interesting year. Um, yeah. What's your sentiment on the current state of the market and where we're heading in the next 12 to 24 months? So me and Cooper actually started the movement idea right after the FTX debacle. Um, so we like started the, like the project when it was like low, 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 like people were like exiting the industry and like after that, since, that's when we started fundraising. So I feel yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, man, it was, if, I mean, honestly, I'm like bullish on anyone who like started or was involved there and still stuck it through. Um, the move thesis actually started as well. Ben, I think Aptos launched right after FTX went and Sui launched shortly after. So the moving system was always underdog. Like we we started in the depths of like hell, uh, and now we're coming back up. Um, so first of all, I'm American citizen, so the ETF stuff is amazing. Like hopefully the United States can get their stuff together, and we see a lot more institutional adoption um, at the government level as well as um, major banks coming in. Um, so that feels good. Just the validity thesis for Americans and the hurrah um, for citizens all over the country. Um, and in terms of the markets. Like obviously price action is going up and that's great and, and that drives narrative obviously. Um, but zooming out further, like we're definitely seeing a lot more institutions come in. Um, Atlas particularly has done a great job of bringing in JP Morgan, bringing in Onyx Initiative, um, stuff that people haven't thought about in the past. Um, and we're seeing a lot more institutional adoption, more gaming. Like this year, all the big games are coming out. I think it's like October, November is the target dates for those launches. Um, so it's multi like hundreds of millions of dollars poured into Web3 Gaming are finally launching. And like everyone kind of thinks that Web3 Gaming is the first uh, entrance of retail money. So like Godzilla, Shrapnel, or two of the games I'm really excited for. Um, on the DeFi side, I think, yeah, it's a no-brainer. When you have more users doing like meme coins and stuff, um, it's obviously more DEX activity. Um, it's people trying out different UXs. Um, but I think the overall market is trending towards next-gen VMs. Like Solana had this huge craze and people love the Solana interface. Um, even if it's for meme coining, it's still better than not using the chain at all. Um, and then move is surely falling after. So I think the move is the next cycle of that. Great. Well, we're definitely bullish on, on movement and on move, uh, disclaimer, uh, interop ventures is an investor of movement and, uh, yeah, we're, but we're, we're super pumped about, uh, about where you guys are are heading, and also like really sort of align with your your vision for you know an ecosystem of VMs, and and we also think you know that the we also that our, our our sentiment also is that you know the 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 EVM is not the be all end all, and that uh, in ten years from now the move the VM ecosystem in crypto will be a lot different than it is now. Sure. Hey, Rushi, thanks so much for coming back on. It's been great having you on again. And uh, I always enjoy these conversations. I always learn so much. And uh, yeah, look forward to having you on again in a couple of months when you have lots of other great announcements to make. Uh, maybe a token. No comment. <laughs> At that point, you can. the nah, legal that, team won't, won't kill you if you talk yeah, about a token. Then I'll probably hope, hopefully be able to do it. But yeah, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Um, and if you're at Denver, um, stop by Madre Day. We will be at ETH Denver and I will stop by my other day for sure. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, guys.